This is CliffCentral.com. Happily, happy, happily, happy. I remember that song when it first came out. You know, the, the great thing about that music is when you realize that Pretoria hip hop is still big and it's still happening. And I'm so excited. Welcome to it. Today is another day. A lot of exciting things happening this week. Man, if you are a Gupta, you are either sweating all that curry out or you are actually, you know what, you don't really care. Life is really great and exciting. A lot of things happening in South Africa in the past week. Um, things like the Zuptas uh, being shown up. But I don't know. I mean, the NEC happened with the ANC and, and nothing much seemed to have changed. But last night there was a big ANC conference. Uh, a lot of people went out there and uh, a lot of things seemed to have happened. Uh, apparently, Sir Ramaphosa is out there and uh, he was saying a couple of things at the ANC summit that happened last night at the Santin Convention Center. And, uh, you know, he is ready to come out fighting, uh, which is fantastic because we're about to see something happening in the country. I, I, I really find all these things really, really exciting about what's happening in South Africa because there is never a quiet week in this country. Every week there's something new that happens. Ah, man, you ask to live in exciting times and this is what you get. So a couple of people have come out uh, in the past couple of days in the past week in South Africa saying that they were asked by the Guptas uh, to take up cabinet positions if they do certain things for them. One of them was, or the first one was Fakey Mentor who came out and said that the Guptas had offered her a ministerial position. And then of course, um, the Deputy Minister of Finance and BC Jonas came out and said that actually the Guptas had offered him the job. After, uh, just before Ntantanene was fired, uh, and before, uh, Des Van Rooyen was hired. Uh, and that was if you do a couple of things for them, uh, one of which was, uh, helping make sure that, uh, when it came to the deal that they wanted to push through, uh, the treasury, which was the deal to buy Asilo Metal, um, would actually go through. And then more revelations came out. With uh, a former minister or deputy minister of communications coming out and saying, actually, the Guptas had also phoned him a couple of years ago. And before the Guptas asked him to come over to the house, uh, even the president had called him and said, hey, man, listen, help out these guys called the Guptas. They're going to give you a call and uh, they are going to want you to do a couple of things for them. And, and that was like an interesting story because it was quite a revelation. Like, how brazen are these guys? Like, they're just doing whatever the heck they want out here in South Africa. It's like the wild, wild west. I'm hoping that something major is going to happen because apparently Tuli Madonzela is on the case now. So um, in a couple of months, we're going to find out exactly what it was that happened. And boy, it's going to be interesting. But on our side, a couple of changes are coming your way pretty soon. This show is going to change. Of course, at the moment, just a listening to Black Life only on Cliff Central between 11 and 12. But any one of these days, things are going to change. We've got an exciting lineup for you today. We're not just going to talk about the Guptas and what's happening in South Africa, in the politics of the South Africa that is right now. We're going to talk about a lot of other things. I'm really looking forward to our mystery guest who's coming in today. Uh, she's on her way and I'm going to give you a clue. She's coming with the baby. Whose baby? I won't tell you. But you know what? He has notorious B.I.G. with more money, more problems. Speaking of more money, more problems, I really wouldn't want to be uh, the 
Western Cape Transport Department Di- or Western Cape Department of Transport Director Kayan Lebi right now. He was allegedly arrested, or he was arrested. That was that's that's what happened. But for allegedly drunken driving last night in Cape Town. Yo, that's like so uncool. Like you are the transport director so you are supposed i mean you could have called an uber you know or you could have gotten the cops to drive you home but then instead this person got arrested last night for drunken driving on a wednesday night i mean but who am i to judge right i I had one or two last night myself so there you go (laughs) but anyway a lot of things happening over the past week that are just crazy i mean another woman was caught at the airport at or tambo bringing one million rands worth of crystal meth in a suitcase like why would you do that all the way from thailand are people still going to thailand to take drugs there or take drugs from there to south africa i thought that people could make crystal meth in south africa why would you need to take all those drugs from thailand and bring them back here it just sounds crazy and and what if you took those drugs there you could like face the death penalty at least in south africa she's probably going to get like maybe six years Five of which are suspended and a hefty fine. And that's just about it. So maybe it was a good idea to rather bring the drugs back from Thailand than, you know, take the drugs there. Because you can bet that if she had taken the drugs to Thailand and been caught, she would be facing something much more serious. But I still don't understand this whole drug meal thing. Someone offers you a couple of thousand rand and and perhaps it's a it's a poverty thing i don't know but someone offers you a couple of thousand rand if you will take a suitcase full of drugs to another country go through customs and hopefully not get caught and then come all the way back and usually it's it's when you're not carrying that much drugs that you usually get caught you know what i mean like i don't know anything between 1 and 10 million rands worth of drugs for me i'd be like Thanks, but no thanks, because that's really not enough drugs. Uh, because I'm probably the, the, the escape guy. I'm, I'm the fall guy here. I know that you guys are passing a lot more through the system. So basically, you're okay with letting a couple of million rands worth of drugs just be caught with me so that the other stuff can, can actually get through. And, and for me, that's like a little bit scary because it's like, okay, uh, I am going through the airport just to get caught for taking these drugs, which I can't even use, for goodness sakes. In fact, can I be high first? If I'm going to be taking all these drugs, can I use some on my way through so that when I get caught, at least I have enough in my system to last me a couple of weeks while I'm going through this stuff? This is crazy, man. A lot of things happening. Um, the Hawks apparently are going to be investigating the whole Gupta saga. I always find it strange when the Hawks are involved right now because, as we all know, um, the Hawks are, you know, something that was set up by the president himself. So uh, are they going to investigate the relationship between the president and the Guptas the way they should when they know that he's ultimately their boss, especially with this whole saga happening right now with Praveen Gordhan and the head of the Hawks um, with this whole, you know, while Praveen used to be the head of SARS, he had a whole rogue unit, right? And now they want to know if Praveen knew all about it and what he was doing about it. Hmm. And Praveen is like, 
this is just so you guys can get me out of this job so you can put des van royen back in the hot seat this is like i'll take whatever i can get anyway you know money is a problem sometimes if that's all that you have in your life there's a song that for me recently when i heard it i was like the lyrics in the song and the power of the song are so powerful and they actually speak about the situation right now here's zahara with imali This is cliffcentral.com. Well, I guess the good news um right now is that a South African film has done really really well at the box office and it's a rom-com, which is really good to hear. Um the film Happiness is a four-letter word which is about three career women in search of true love in the city of gold which is Johannesburg is currently the second best performing film at Sturkinikor and is fifth in overall rankings. Uh, after just f- 10 days uh, after its release, the film reached 5 million rand. And now, in 30 days, the film has passed 10 million rands um, in box office takings, which is really amazing. The film, which has an all-female starring cast, uh, stars Mabatu Monto, Kanyimbao, and Renate Stierman. Um, wow. And, uh, it debuted at number three, just behind Deadpool and for Outdate. <laughs> you can't get away from those Afrikaans movies, can you? They're always doing so damn well. It's unbelievable. But anyway, um, I'm just glad to see that, you know, there's two movies actually in the top three, uh, at Stokinico at the moment that are South African, which is, of course, happiness, a four letter word and for Outdate. Which means that South Africans are actually going to the movies to watch other South African movies. And I did go watch Deadpool and it's a great movie. So I'm glad that all these other movies are doing so well against it. And, and talking about trying to find love in the city of gold, that's true love, that is, and being a career woman. My surprise guest is here, the one I told you about. Um, and uh, my other surprise guest is outside the studio right now uh, with with everybody just showering her with love anyway uh let's say hello to my surprise guest hello zozi beanie mm, <laughs> <laughs> yes 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 nepotism is at work right here this is my wife zozi beanie i thought i'd do a show with her today and talk to her about a couple of things about life in general and things like that um we were supposed to have uh, been here from a little bit earlier but you know that's an interesting thing about working as a team uh sometimes you just gotta do what you can um how was it coming out here? I know that you had to get the baby ready and then you had to drive and blah, blah, blah. It's difficult. There she is. There's Zina outside the studio. Let's actually get her in here. How was it? How was your trip? So, firstly, I'm very nervous. Don't be nervous. It's okay. <laughs> I think it's maybe my second time on radio. I don't know. Could be my okay. first. It's my first. Uh-huh. Um, getting here was fun. Not so much. Daddy she, threw us a curveball this did morning. Did she grind the car? No, she didn't cry. Oh, she's good today. She's very good today. She just sat there like she's grown. <laughs> oh, okay. That's good. She's getting used to the car seat. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so, you know, you've had quite an interesting <clears throat> journey in your career and in your life in general. You know, coming to Joburg many years ago, looking for that 
mysterious goal that everyone talks about. Um, what were your impressions of Johannesburg before you actually came here to to live and work here? That's strange for me because I actually didn't officially come to Joburg when I came to live and work here. Fortunately, yeah. my family was here, so I always used to be here for holidays. Mm. So my impression of Joburg was Binoni. Uh, <laughs> which is not um, I think most people say It's not Joburg It's Shane Pinoni Next to Boxburg Right So so yeah so. And, 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 and for me I think that Pinoni is like it, It's it's almost like I won't say it's a rural town But it's It's Joburg If you're not from Joburg But it's If you're from this, It's like It's not Joburg I wasn't all. impressed You were, okay, you were I mean, like What the heck is this No I was like Okay There's at least You know Nice amenities yeah, you can go to the movies here easy. You can get around easily. But um, every second corner, there's a Dutchman looking at you like, what the hell are you doing here? You can't say words like that. <laughs> you know, like, you know what happened to Penny Sparrow, man. Let's not go there. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, those those are the issues that Pinoni had in the past. And, in the past. and to, to a certain extent, I mean, those things still happen. Um, but... Is, is that what tainted your idea of, of a place like this? Especially because where you come from, you grew up in, when you were growing up, it was called the Transkei. It wasn't even like the Eastern Cape yet. Um, and I find that a lot of people, and I'm going to just say Kosa people who come from what was oh, originally called the Transkei, um, just had a different idea growing up of, of even who they are because of there wasn't really that apartheid thing happening, right? Not so much. Um, how could I say? Growing up in Transkei was very different. We were mm. aware of it because we had to go to East London for most things. Mm. So there was a border control. And I remember standing in line at the border control, you know, with um, white men who I didn't really know or mm. have any experience with. Um, and they were wearing the South African uniform, military uniform, and mm. they were giving us a hard time just to go through and show your passport and... Uh, just, uh, you know, to get into East London. I remember this one time, um, my mom took myself and Kuma, my, my younger cousin, and Kuma wasn't on her passport. Mm. And it, it's literally an hour and a half out to the border gate for East London. Mm. We had to turn back. Wow. There was no, like, you know, no mercy. No, nothing. To a large um, extent, South Africa is still like that, though, because you can't just come here with a kid without an unabridged birth certificate and blah 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 <laughs> no you can't so we literally had to turn around to go drop Kumo off and then wake up the following day and go back to East London um, yeah. it was a funny uh, experience for me um, but um, it wasn't the worst experience I, I, I wouldn't say it was like 1976 you know in Soweto or those type or of experiences Lodi. Oh, my melody, I was, mash. Okay, I was there, but you know, not really there. I wasn't Copus Mentis. <laughs> <laughs> but so, I'm still, I'm still curious, like you know, to get back to that whole Joburg thing because, you know, I grew up in Pretoria, and it's not Joburg. A lot of people think that like the whole of Gauteng is one big city, but it's not at all. And I always had the sense that Joburg really did have the brighter lights. Really, if if when people were saying it was paved with the streets were paved with gold. There were certain times when my naivety like shone through and I kind of believed them. But it always, and it still does, had a sense of promise for me. It was just a place that had all this promise and, and, and this potential. So, I mean, for me, Joburg had promise and potential from my experience of coming to Benoni and, and seeing some of Joburg. From home, it was about Gauteng. 
um, that's what we call it. Uh, it wasn't, it was dangerous. It was uh, quick and fast. It didn't give from a small town girl the impression that this is somewhere you really want to go and settle down and raise a family. Mm. You know, uh, there's no, uh, you know, camaraderie. There's no Ubuntu. There's no neighbors. There's no, it seemed like it was just this fast pace where anything could happen. I remember when my sister started a practice. Um, in the east in, 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 in a location and she was held up at gunpoint for her laptop and mm, her a stuff. medical practice right yes mm-hmm. um, back in the, in the early 90s and that really was for me like why would you even go there it's not like there's no hospitals in Transkai you know? but, but then was there no crime in the Transkai there was I guess we were just a little more protected insulated we, mm. we, we didn't experience as a family not as a society um, that sort of uh, fast paced gunpoint of course there was petty crimes there mm. definitely was crime it's impossible mm. that there wasn't crime but the, to the extent that we perceived it and it's perception mm. it's not about reality it's really about perception and the things you hear yeah. you tend to hear more negative sometimes but then what made you then decide that you wanted to come here um, to find that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow instead of going to East London, PE or even to Cape Town? Mm, so I grew up. Um, I did my BCom in finance and I got fascinated by this bank called Investec. Mm-hmm. And I was like... Which is like the Jewish stock fell. <laughs> <laughs> Can you say that? Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, so I was like, come hell high waters, I'm going to work for Investec. Okay. And I did. Mm. So th- that's what no no it's not actually initially what brought me to 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 Johannesburg I'm I'm jo- I'm not I'm not correct what initially brought me is uh, my mom actually used to be a producer for Transkai Broadcasting Corporation. Okay. And before I decided I'm going to go into banking, I had this passion of being in production. So I started working with uh, Dumi and Mandla and Marin Reddy and uh, Luke Rouse and Josh Rouse from Black Brain Pictures. Ah, the Black Brain Boys. So uh, I was uh, operations manager for Black Brain <laughs> for mm-hmm. a bit. And um, I actually didn't complete my degree. I left school and I came and I worked for them. And uh, needless to say, it was fantastic. I really enjoyed it. Worked as operations manager of the company, production assistant when I was needed. And I really thought I was going to make it big in, you know, lights and glamour and so forth. Yeah. It was kind of a, a big producer. I thought I was. Um, but then I had to go back and finish my degree and kind of my perception changed about money. Mm-hmm. And uh, I decided what, you to go into there banking. Was just no money. In, just in no television. money, man. Just no money. <laughs> That's a closer thing. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. So you decided to go into banking. Um, and then what was the next step? Um, I went into banking. So you, did you go in back and finish your degree? Yes, I did. At course. this point? Uh, Education is important. My, my mm. aunt bribed me. Okay. Uh, to finish my degree. What was the bribe? Uh, money. Um, how much? <laughs> don't worry. Okay. <laughs> At that time, what, 3,000 rand? That was nothing. But okay. I, for it's me, lot, I was like, hey. Lot. You're from the trans guy. <laughs> I'll man. take three grand. <laughs> what? <laughs> Anyhow, um, I finished my degree and, uh, I worked for Investec. I hated it. What what made you hate it so much? What was it about it? Admin. Oh, you didn't like doing that? What did I you, hate But admin. what did you think you were going to do when you got there? I don't know. You, you did a finance degree. Um, you go to work for a bank. What were your expectations that, that you were going to be doing once you got to Investec? Did you think you were going to be making big deals? Yes. You were going to be buying other banks? Listen, buying property I had a all very over the place? clear vision of what I was going to be doing. I was going to be wearing pinstripe pants. Um, going into boardrooms talking to SAA about the oil supply and doing like very sophisticated deals and so forth. Mm. That didn't happen. I was mm. stuck in insurance doing admin. 
Mm-hmm. Um, needless to say, I was not happy about that. So I left. And where did you go? So I got uh, an opportunity to work for a company called Amorphous New Media. I know that sounds like it wasn't banking, but we did online solutions for bank. So uh, netbank.com, .co.za, sorry, um, and a few other, you know, online solutions. And I worked on NetBank as, you know, an account manager. It was one of the biggest accounts with a bunch of other people on the team. I was starting out there and I had a wonderful time working and seeing the banking environment from their online presence and what it takes, you know, to, to put up web pages and so forth. And uh, from there, funny enough, I went and I worked for NetBank Capital as an investment banker. Okay, and and that's where you really started to fly, I suppose, in your career as as an investment banker, because this is really what you wanted to do. Mm. A lot of people don't really understand what investment banking is really all about. I certainly did not understand what investment banking was all about until I met you. What do you guys do in investment banking? Uh, you know. So it, it's funny when you say a lot of people don't understand. My uncle, um, who's like a dad to me. Uh, said to me, you work for NetBank. You left here to go to Joburg, to leave us, not to be around us, to work for NetBank. Are you a teller? What do you do? Why can't you be a teller here? And I'm mm. like, no, Malume, I'm not a teller. <laughs> <laughs> what do you do? I'm an investment banker. What do you do? <laughs> exactly. What do you do? So, like, just take us through it on a day-to-day basis. What do you do? <laughs> so I was very specific. Um, I was a fossil fuel specialist at NetBank, and I worked in the investment bank under structured trade, global structured trade, sorry, in commodity finance and as associate. So what I did is I structured big deals. Um, not for corporates, but corporates included, but more than anything in the trade um you know, side of things. I didn't do your options and your hedges. That's a different part. I don't even want to get into the options and hedges right now because that's going to just like, it's going to fill my brain with too much stuff. But you said fossil fuels as well. And, you know, I'm thinking petroleum. I'm thinking coal. Are those the basically, and paraffin, are those basically the three fossil fuels that are out there? You've been schooled well. So fossil fuels actually specifically crude oil, um, coal, and natural gas. Petroleum doesn't fall into fossil fuels, but I worked on petroleum and diesel as well. Okay. So, yes. so when you when you say you structure big deals, I mean, what do you do? I'm trying to, are you the, the go-between if I am a seller of crude oil and there's someone who wants to buy from me, why can't I just go directly to that guy or they come to me and just put the money in my account and I'll send the stuff? So what I do is I enable trade effectively, um, mm-hmm. secure trade that is. Um, I don't get involved in the actual trade of it. I just get involved in the financing of it. So, for example, you want to buy crude oil from this guy, and I'm sorry, in Nigeria, they have mm. oil, but you don't know anything about them. Um, you do your due diligence, but you want to make sure that this transaction is secure and all the, you know, mitigations are in place, you know, to make sure that your risk isn't, you know, in other at words, a high level. I'm going to get my oil from the Nigerians. <laughs> Nigerians are very good businessmen and they do all trade well, on a daily basis. That's what I'm saying though. But, but why do I need you? Why can't I just pick up the phone no, and you call can. my friend Adze and then Adze will just what do deliver you do the oil? When Adze doesn't deliver the oil or doesn't deliver the, quant- the, the right level, your money's already gone. So uh, oil, like anything else, 
has quality, right? Mm. If it's not the right quality of oil, it's not the right um, barrel size, it's not the right, um, and I'm just talking off the top of my head now, yeah, it's not yeah, the right yeah, amount. Yeah. What do you do? What's your recourse? Okay. You're going to spend years and years in, in, in going back and forth to exactly. Lagos trying your to get your money's gone. Court. But whereas with banking, for example, <clears throat> excuse me, there's banking instruments. So bank guarantee notes, letters of credit, and they only pay upon receipt and confirmation of quality. Oh, so basically what, what it is is I send a bank guarantee check to add it and I say, listen, as soon as I get my stuff, this check clears. Like you get your money. In a manner of speaking. So ah, you send, okay. we, we issue an LC to add this bank. Uh, that's an LC. Okay. It's a letter of credit. Oh, okay. Mm. Mm-hmm. We issue a letter of credit to Adza's bank. And as soon as all the terms and conditions on the letter of credit are met, they can draw down on the letter of credit and he will get his money. And mm-hmm. you have your oil. There's certain complex things around it, but in a nutshell, that's what it is. Okay. So, you know. So we enable trade. Okay. You we enable don't, we don't trade. do trade. You don't do necessarily trade. Mm. I heard a rumor that even though Africa has got the the most natural resources and we've got the most commodities um the east which has pretty much none and i'm talking about places like japan have the biggest number of commodity traders basically people who go out around the world find commodities or natural resources and sell them to other people who need them so that's historic and it's a it's it's actually wonderful when you go back into the history of trade Mm -hmm. um japan does have um, or historically, you know, did have the highest number of traders and they still do. Mm. You have Japanese people going into, you know, our continent coming in and trading, um, one, two days and they go out. Americans, everyone, traders are traders. It's as old as barter. Mm. It's nothing complex. It's nothing new. It's just mm. that banks have made a system, you know, to make the barter more credible and more secure. But how is it then that, that, that even though this has been, and it has, I mean, trade between Africa and the East, between Africa and even the West, if you want to call it that, has been happening for centuries. And yet, um, Africans are the least when it comes to commodity traders. If you understand what I'm saying. Mm. So people come and buy our raw materials and that's pretty much how it is. And then we buy it back as a finished product. Um, but even the middlemen, the sellers, though the traders, there aren't as many Africans. Why do you think that is? You see, my experience actually, Dumisho, hasn't been with uh, Europeans or the Eastern people when it comes to trade. Mm. I was going to trade specifically into Africa and I can tell you there's mm. a big 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 number of people that make the living of trade take mm. uganda for example majority of people they make the living of trading in, in coffee mm. um they farmers or they traders mm. or they mm. somewhere mm. in the value chain do you yeah, understand yeah, same thing yeah. with kenya and their coffee they farmers or they traders or they somewhere in the value chain uh when it comes to that same thing with cameroon and uh Cote d'Ivoire when it comes to cocoa same thing when it comes to um, Ghana and cocoa. Mm. Th- that is what runs the economy in a big way. Mm. We're just not known as prestigious traders. Okay. Um, you understand? And as well, when you talk about the coffee, you you find companies um, like in Kenya that uh, take the raw material out of Kenya. They send it off to the UK or they send it to London or Europe somewhere. Yeah. And then it goes to Italy, gets exactly. roasted. Exactly. It gets it roasted and it comes back and that's where the money is. Mm. It's actually not, mm. not mm. necessarily that there isn't money in coffee. 
coffee There's mm. a lot of money in coffee But there isn't You know the value add is there And mm. we tend to do that With a lot of our raw materials And it's mm. sad mm. Mm. Um, For me You know that we're not Building the infrastructure We're not You know investing back Into our societies Into our continent mm. To you know Because it's not There's nothing that stops us From having the ability To be the next willpower Yeah But it's been difficult For you to become Formally uh, A commodity trader I mean it ha- It's not like That's what you do now Right, um, but it's something that you've always wanted to do. What are some of the challenges that you've met along the way um, that you find have been getting in the way of this big dream of yours? Opportunity, okay. identifying opportunity. You know, people think that you're just going to become a trader. A trader's personality is a very different person. You know, um, you have to be on the ball. You have to be moving. You have to be current you have to know exactly what's happening you have to think you know on the cuff you have to know exactly what you're talking about and it's not about ability it's about opportunity and, and finding the right places to do the trade so it's about knowing the right kind of people um no, not so. networking within yes. the, the, the right kind of i suppose networks yes <laughs> <laughs> i was looking for a better word um, so you know yeah yeah, it's it's really and, and isn't most of business really about who you know anyway. Um, at the end of the day, it's it's not really about what you know because you know a lot about the industry. You know a lot about trade. You know a lot clearly. I mean, you told me about an LC, but um, at the end of the day, it's about finding a willing buyer and a willing seller. Is that what it is? Being a commodity trader, finding those two pieces, and you're on your way. It's essentially, yeah. Okay. Essentially, you're on your way. Oh, it could be that you, you know, you, you go from, you know, the ground levels. You literally start a coal mine, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a farm and you get investors and you go okay. into, you get partners that can help you into mining. You set up your trading desk and you start trading. Okay. But it's, it's complex. It's not as simple as I'm just going to sell coal. Like I'm going to stand on the street corner and sell some, yeah, or you open know. up a big macro. No, it doesn't work like that. You code. need allocation at Richards Bay. If you want to do international trade on coal, you need licensing. You need mining right licensing if you want to go into mining. Um, and generally, you know, the value chain as, as, mm. as just standing as a trader, not someone that actually owns the raw material, it becomes a bit difficult. Ah. And I mean, the nice thing about, um, South Africa right now is that they're creating those opportunities. Okay. They really are creating and facilitating opportunities that people can come in and be traders, standalone traders. You yeah, know, yeah. Uh, they call them agents, they call them facilitators, but effectively you're just trading. You're not interested in holding the, you know, the raw material. You're not interested in mining it. You're not interested in cultivating it. You're interested in, in selling it for a profit and moving on. Yeah. I mean, with what's recently happened, even with the Guptas and Dudizani Zuma taking um, with the, with them getting together and, and taking a, buying over that, that, that huge mine. And, and it turns out that once they bought the mine, then ESCOM says, okay, the contract that we had with the last mine, now we're going to improve it for you guys. There seems to be, it's not that easy. Like, even if you have a coal mine, it doesn't mean that you're going to get the price that you need. You might actually end up getting a lower price from someone like ESCOM. And, and, and I found that, you know, over the years, I've had friends who've tried to get into this thing called mining or selling coal and things like that. And it's always about someone says they have a mine, but they never do. Do you find that there's a lot of people who speak a lot, but are not really what they say they are? Constantly. Why is it so full of con artists? Why is the world round? <laughs> <laughs> no, but here's, here's, here's where I'm going with this, right? When you first explained what commodity trading is, and I still don't fully understand it because it always feels like it's the kind of business where you don't really set up anything. You know, you don't need to have necessarily an office. Um, you can literally just find somebody who has a contract 
to sell coal from a certain mine. That, 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 that's what they have been given because they know the people who own the mine or, or whatever it may be. And you might find someone else who has a contract on the other side to buy something like we're talking about. Let's just talk about coal to buy coal from the other side. And if you happen to be that person in the middle who can bring these two people in and never let them meet until the contract is signed, then you are the person who scores the deal. Am I correct? And that's where I found that a lot of people who I know, well, not a lot, a lot, but the people that I know who've tried this thing, the failure has always been in the fact that the guy who said that they had the contract didn't really have the contract or know those people. And the, and the other guy on the, on the other side who said, no, 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 I know the guys at ESCOM and, you know, the, didn't know those people. And after weeks and weeks of meeting at all these various restaurants and paying all this money, it just fell apart. And, and, for me, my experience has been all you do is you spend five years buying people free lunches and then hopefully one day you get a deal. So, I mean, in my corporate experience, that's not trade. Um, okay. those, those type of situations, maybe there's someone, I don't know anyone who's had luck doing that and being successful. Mm. What I've seen, um, let's talk about coal, bowl oil. Uh, for example, trading in Kenya, you know, as an established person who has, you know, they've taken working capital, they've put it into, a, a, you know, an office space, email addresses, <clears throat> they have telephone numbers, landlines, they have people that support them. They go out and they find, uh, you know, they actually go and see the mine. They go and make sure that this actually exists. Okay. Or the coffee plantation. They speak to the farmers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's okay. I see. Sorry, they speak to the to the supplier, and they get a buyer. Do you understand? Mm. And then they bring the two together. But they do put in some money. They do put in initial outlay. Whether it's it's the energy to make sure yeah. and, th- and do your due diligence. People that sit in restaurants, striking deals where you've never actually seen the mine. Yeah, you've that's the thing, actually, right? You never really, you never seen the mine. I have not heard anyone that's made it as mm. a trader mm. doing that. Mm. I don't mm. know if they. they or not they could be well Kenny Kunene and Gaten McKenzie uh, apparently they made it because you know they had that one deal with those guys um, with that one mine and that's how they became what they became so you know apparently it does happen I don't and know I, I wasn't know. there I wasn't there I either wasn't but there. that's what I heard and, and and for many years I thought you know maybe that that we could we could do that again with myself and a couple of my friends, but it didn't really work out. Do you know if Kenny and Gaten didn't go to the mine? <laughs> I mean, they did, and eventually, I mean, I, I'm sure, you know. But initially, I mean, what are you going to do? You know, you're just going to have to meet at the restaurant because you, you don't want to get your shoes dirty. I mean, you really haven't planned to go all that far. <laughs> if you want to do trade, you have to get your hands dirty. You have to get your shoes dirty. Get out your comfort zone. I've been yeah. to refineries in Mombasa. Um, mm, as mm, a banker, mm. because you have to make sure what they're talking about is there. There's no other way of. There are no shortcuts. Eh? There's no shortcuts. That's why you have. That's why that you. I mean, one of your opening uh, questions to me: Why do you have so many Japanese people? You know, um, Eastern people mm. coming into Africa. They get the feet dirty. They get the shoes dirty. Okay. They make the investment. They fly over here. Yeah. Economy class. Sit, stay in a shady hotel because they need to know that the stuff is there. But how do you actually structure something like that to go and and ask for some sort of financing? Um, someone like you and I who might not have a rich uncle, aunt, mother or father to say, okay, you know what, I'll help you out. Here's a million bucks. Uh, set up that office, have the infrastructure and have enough money so that you can do all the research. Because a lot of it sounds like it's research based. You have to know who the buyers are and make sure that they are looking to buy something. And they don't already have those, um, I suppose, relationships with the sellers because if they do what what the hell is what what are you here for i already got the relationship with the seller and now you're telling me that you want to sell me something that i'm really buying anyway right Mm. 
and, and you have to find new sellers, I suppose, of these products or commodities that are out there. Uh, and that takes a lot of research. That takes uh, sometimes, like you said, getting your hands and feet dirty, getting onto that plane, flying economy class for hours, going to some shady hotel, going to some mine you don't even know. You've never been there. And mines are out in the middle of nowhere in a country you don't know with a person you've never met. Risking your life, literally. Um, how would you how would you put that in a proposal? <laughs> right. Is that a tough question? It is. You know, I'm noticing more and more that banks now are opening up um, to people. Um, they, they're giving opportunities. And it, it seems to be the era of the black woman mm. um, in South Africa where they're saying, you know, find a partner. Yeah. Find a partner. We want a majority owned black female company. Mm. Come on, come with us with someone who's got experience who will stand with you mm. and we will assist you in doing that. Do you understand what I'm saying? But you have to do the research to find that if you, if you know what I mean. Mm. Firstly, you have to find the partner that's willing to work with you. So that's invested firstly in not just black females, but you know, in, in you in as transformation, an individual. I suppose. And then you as an individual. You yeah. know, it, it could not even be transformation. It could um, just be it's you. not, you know, it's yeah. not restricted. It could be mm. you. I'm a, I'm a white male and I want to go into trade. It's not like there's not opportunity to do mm. that. And mm. I'm young. I'm 25, but I have a partner that's strong. You know, mm-hmm. and that can assist me with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, going in and finding out what opportunities that person can help you. We all need mentors in mm-hmm. life, mm-hmm. Um, and I see that way. And there is the way of the, you know, the black female and the opportunity with, uh, you know, BE and all that. And it seems the banks are opening up in certain industries um, for trade around that. And it's about getting information. Being a trader, you know, you have to find a niche. Yes. But traders don't always necessarily start where they want to end up. You don't always okay. start out being a petroleum trader. You could start out doing agriculture mm. um, as a means to an end. Yeah. But you're getting experience. Yeah. I've done structured deals with everything. Fish, mm. <laughs> I've done structured deals with coffee. I've done structured yeah. deals with sugar. Mm. Um, I ended up as a fossil fuel specialist. Mm. Okay. Um, it sounds like it's, it's sort of like anything else in the world, you know, that, that any career that you might do. I look at acting, for example. You might want to be a film actor, but you might start doing community theater, and that's okay. You're getting there, right? Or like you, baby. You <laughs> may start working at casinos somewhere in the east. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I did. I was working at the casinos, and, and it was great fun. But I, I want to move a little bit now from just talking about business and career to, to something more personal. I was talking about happiness is a four-letter word, and, and that thing about true love, you know... Um, I you think can, we should go watch that show, actually. We should go watch that show. Because I was looking don't, at it, funny enough. Don't, don't say it out loud on radio because I'm, I'm supposed to have already seen it. <laughs> no, but you haven't seen it with me. I didn't. Yes, I haven't seen it with you. Um, and the thing about, I suppose, you know, getting to a certain age and, and getting where you are now, you've got a family. Um, I'm really young. You're still young. You're still working towards your career. What is it about the young black female, if we're going to talk about the young black female, that the challenges of, of marrying who you are, coming from the trans guy, and uh, living in this modern world and trying to make it in this modern world? Oh, that boy. you and your friends go through. <clears throat> that we haven't put in a rom-com yet. <laughs> <laughs> is there anything that hasn't been put in a rom-com yet? I, I don't think so. Uh, Our life hasn't been put in a rom-com. Uh, that question, it should be simple. 
Mm. But it's not. I mean, I haven't applied my mind to what my challenges are. I just hustle day in day. But even and like ask. your friends' challenges. I mean, things like nannies. You think that it will be easier to for you guys oh. to have a nanny? But is, is it really? No, my nanny's sitting right out there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not simple. Um, the new motherhood challenge. Because I was uh, get up and go. We didn't have a baby for the longest time. And uh, my life completely changed. It's like a train hit me, mm-hmm. <laughs> literally. Um, you know, water came into the house and it's completely different. Um, it, nothing for me is as simple as get up and go. Like yeah. not to pick a new baby, but like uh, your lifestyle is different, but it's still, it's not so hugely different. You wake up in the morning and you are like, okay, let me get myself ready and let me run, you know? On any given day, I cannot wake up in the morning and be like, let me get myself ready. I have a whole other person to care about, even if I'm not physically getting them ready. But I need to make sure, is she okay? Is she, you know, temperature fine? Did she eat right? Is she blah, 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 blah. Is How is she feeling today? Is she fussy? Is she not fussy? Um, okay, fine. What's the plan? What are you going to put her in? What's the weather like? It's like, I don't know. It's ridiculous. And then I have to, you know, put on my different hat of corporate South Africa and mm. go to work. Um, mm. it's, it's different, but you just kind of roll with it, you know? Mm, mm. I think our mothers did this in a different time, um, but they did it nevertheless. But do you think that, I mean, with our, our generation, th- there's, there's a bit of difficulty with those roles. Um, uh, there's some resentment. Do you find that you yourself sometimes struggle with that resentment of, I wish I could just do what he, he was doing. I wish he could do more even. Hell yeah. Remember when you left me at the doctor's offices? Last yeah, week. The, uh, last week, yeah, mm-hmm. the pediatricians. I, I, I had meetings. Mm. I had serious meetings mm. for big mm. deals. Yeah. Um, but I couldn't be like, okay, baby, you gotta go. I've got to be on set. Cheers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I yeah. no, I'm like, okay, I have to move my meetings out, yeah. which is what I had to do. And it doesn't matter mm. that I'm speaking to the head of a department in a big bank. Yeah. I'm like, sorry. I have to move my meeting out because the pediatrician was two hours late. Therefore, my yeah. whole day is two hours late. Therefore, yeah. you're just going to have to deal with it. Or yeah. you can see me tomorrow. Yeah. Um, and this is my client. And, and on the on the flip side as well, you know, I'm thinking if I really did, you know, stay, I'm not saying want to because that's, that's not whether or not I did want to stay. Because I know I you want to stay. stay. Mm. But I don't know if society is cool with that. I mean, saying to uh, my producer on set that, look, I'm going to be two hours late as well. So move your whole schedule around. Um, not just because of the difficulty of moving your schedule, but as a man, it's like, can't your wife take care of it? <laughs> it is. And it's a catch 22 for both of us because mm. at the same time, what's the point of us sitting there together? Someone has got to sacrifice and someone's got to go and do, you know, Mm. and society is like, why does your wife not take over it? But it's funny because my manager more and more when I'm having baby challenges says to me, where's your husband? And I'm like, really? Yeah. (laughs) Like he's there doing Mm. his part. But, uh, you know, whichever way you you skin this cat, here's the basis of it. And let's just call a spade a spade. If it was such a 50-50 role. Then maybe you'd carry her for fifty percent of the ten months. It's not. I feel like I did though. I mean, I've, I've got the weight to prove it. I don't know what you carried. <laughs> it wasn't baby, so it, it's not. It's, it's, it is what it is. You know, I'm mm. the primary caregiver when it comes to that, um, and that's just what it is. But I'm not alone. You know, there's mm. a support system. But in the first few years of a child's life, is crucial. You know, that's the parent that is a primary caregiver, but it's not always the case. There's, there's children that don't grow up with mothers. God forbid something had happened, you know, during delivery and I wasn't alive. You'd be it, buddy. Mm. 
And yeah. I, I like to think you step up to the plate. You wouldn't send my baby to granny's. Yeah, yeah. And and I suppose, uh, you know, we've got very little time now, so we've got to wrap up. But it's really getting to a point where you realize that there are certain things that are just your responsibility and you've got someone to support you with it. But really, the kind of the bike stops with you uh, in a way. Isn't, isn't, is that it? Is that what marriage really is all about? I think we all have our roles and it's there's no... Um, textbook to say this is my role, this is not your role. I know couples who the buck stops with the dad when it comes to babies, you know? Mm. Um, it's, it's rare, but it does happen. Uh, it's just the way it is, you know? We have different personality types. Um, I'm very mothering. Um, that's just the way I am. I'm the one who, who probably, you know, stay up all night fussing and worrying and you're more relaxed. You're like, oh, I'm sure she'll be fine. <laughs> you kind of pass out. But yeah. that's just the way it is. It's not, you know, assassination of your character. It's, it's, we're different. Don't worry. I don't feel assassinated. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm cool with that guy. <laughs> I'm glad you're cool. But thanks for coming through. It was a really great chat. I actually learned a lot about this commodity trade thing and I've been with you for so long and I, I still managed to pick some nuggets up. I'm actually thinking of going into it if this whole acting thing doesn't work out. But that Black was, Black. uh, Black Life for today. Join us again next week. Same time, same place, only on Cliff Central. My name is Tamisha Masha and my guest today was Zozibini Masha. So, uh, you won't catch us again, but you'll definitely catch me next week. It's been amazing. Cheers. And, uh, until we meet each other again, if, uh, any of the Gupta family call you guys and offers you a job, don't be a fool. Take it. This is cliffcentral.com.